Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation, and hope. I am Russell Manser, and this is The Stick Up. Buddy Oldman, welcome to The Stick Up Podcast. Thank you, Russell. I appreciate it. First of all, I'd like to, to acknowledge the, um, the custodian, traditional custodians of this land, the, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and to ask them to protect me and everybody here while I'm on, the, on their land and I appreciate being able to um, to travel up here and, and be on Gadigal country. Thank you, thank you. All right, mate, tell us, a, where did it all start, mate? We, we just go through this process normally of where'd you grow up and, and who were your idols and what was your family like? Uh, I grew up in, in Nawi, Roselands area. Yeah. I lived in Sydney for 40 odd years. Mm. My idols were Peter Sterling, Ray Price, Steve Eller, boxing idols, Glenn Kelly, Nobody yeah. liked Gunga to me. Loved watching boxing. My dad was an old tent fighter, so that was important to me to to try and uh, be a part of that. What was the family structure like? Youngest, how many of the kids in your family? Well, um, I'm the only one to my mum and dad. Yeah. Dad had three other kids. My mum had um, six other kids, and I was number ten. Yeah. But huge difference in in age groups. Yeah. The next one up is eleven years different. Uh, in age to me and um, I searched for her she got taken put into the welfare system stolen was it stolen generation no no she's not Koori my mother had her out of wedlock yeah so to speak back in the day that was the done not you know she was, yeah. so she was raised by my uh, my auntie yeah and she came to live with us when I was three years old and she got taken back by the welfare and um how did that feel tell me about I hated that. it I hated it last thing I, I remember her telling me that she loved me and she'd never stop loving me. And I held on to that and I found her when I was 47. Wow. And I'm 52 now. It's um, a lot of trauma to carry because that's the first, do you think that was your first really encounter with trauma as a kid? I think so, yeah. And when I told her, when I found her, what happened to me at 10, yeah. she said that that wouldn't have happened if she was around. So it's it's brought a lot of lot more trauma. Yeah. To me, you know, so. What does a trauma do to a kid at that age? It sent me in, into a direction of I tried to make myself as ugly as possible. Yeah. That way people wouldn't acknowledge me, wouldn't recognise me. Because on my 10th birthday, I was taken by two um, two runaways and taken to a pedophile. And they, they were given 10 bucks and the three of them raped me. Oh, man, um, and I never said anything until I was 47 about it. Um, I'd not long found my sister. And I tried to kill myself. And I've been married and with my wife we're coming up to 30 years and I never told her and I, I just couldn't couldn't do it. So I held on to that for such a long time and it was tearing me apart. Mm. And 
I went and tried to hang myself and um, ended up with a really sore tailbone, thank heavens. Yeah. The, the tree branch broke. I went home and told my wife and I'd taken a bottle of pills, the sleeping tablets as well, and I told her that what I tried to do and I was sorry. And she said to me, um, if you would have been successful, she would have hated me. Yeah. And that hurt because yeah. my wife is my everything. Like we are really, really close. I've married my wife four times. Wow, that's love. Yeah, I love her to death, mate. She is that's the most beautiful. important thing to me in the world. Oh, I think we all wish we could find that. And I wish I could find that. I will, oh, well, I've I struck gold there, eh? Yeah. You know, and um, my mother hated it too. Yeah. And I didn't like my mum too much. I love my mum, mm. but she always tried to make things difficult for me because I was I was a latchkey kid. When you say latchkey, can you explain that? Yeah, at six years old, I'd be catching a bus from from Hursel to to Nawi mm. to go to school, and I'd get home. And I'd be at home by myself till like eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. I was one of them. Yeah, I think I was one of them. I, I learned. I was cooking at five years old. Yeah, I was cooking my. Yeah, didn't have microwaves then either. No, right? no, I was in the frying pan with the stove up the chair on the stove. Yeah, people would come over and I'd say, "What are you doing?" So I'm cooking myself a feed. Yeah, yeah. And I've never heard that terminology before. That's the first of it. Thank you for that. It was scary, but Russell, you think about back <sighs> then, like you're in a house all by yourself, and the house had been broken into. When I come home one day. And um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if the, the, the whoever it was was still there. Yeah. So I rang the police myself and yeah. Hersel detectives come down. And said, Where's your mum and dad? I said, well, my dad's away working because dad was always away working and my mum was a barmaid. So. And I relate to that so much. When you, when, you talk, when you talk about that, I can remember me being a kid going home and worried shitless that someone was in my house. Yeah. I, and then that brought it back such a strong feeling to me when you just said that because – I know that exact same feeling. You don't have the curtains of moves. Exactly. Or- exactly. It's scary, yes. Yeah. And, and every day was really traumatic to the point where I started trying to go to mates' houses. Yeah. And it'd be like their parents saying, doesn't he have family? Yeah. And like, was was just, just not right. It was different. Yeah. But um, in the end, she ended up getting me a babysitter and she gave me a hard time because it was costing her money. And my mum was a really bad gambler. Yeah. They don't like nothing getting in the way of the money, the gamblers. Nah. Nah. And she was just in, into the pokies. Yeah. Know, all the time. All the time. Tell me, what was school like? What were you going like at school? What, were you validated? Were you have a sense of belonging at school? What was it like for you? Uh, I was a really good sportsman, eh? Yeah. I was really good at rugby league. Yeah. And um, I had, had a teacher, two teachers that really changed my life at school. One... Was never a te- never my teacher, but she, I think she knew something had happened to me. Mm. And the other one was he was my teacher in fifth class, but he was the rugby league coach, and he ended up being They're the best ones. Yeah, yeah, he ended up being um, he was head of soccer Australia or something like Gary Power was his yeah. name, a referee, beautiful man. Mm. And I think he knew something had happened to me as well. He used to pick me up from the bus stop on mm. his way because he lived in Penzhurst, mm. and he picked me up on the way to school. Yeah, and I'd. I'd think I was all flashed because I was getting dropped off at school yeah. by, by the teacher. But after I'd got raped, I put on a lot of weight, deteriorated a lot, lost a lot of interest in school. But I also remember like at school, then all of a sudden I become bullied because I was the fat kid. Mm. I had abuse from a teacher, whacked me across the, the back with a metre ruler. And I remember my, them ones. Yeah. What, yeah. And my nose Wooden bled. Wooden ones, yeah. Yeah, my nose bled and I'm like, this is not cool. The lady teacher, she just is still always really nice to me. And yeah. she's still friends with my wife on Facebook. How cool. Yeah. And reaches out and always lets me know that she loves me and 
she knew that I was a, a, a different type of kid. So with that, look, being an abuse survivor myself, you carry a backpack of stuff that don't belong to you, and you would have been carrying a lot of weight on you for a long time until you you told what you know. Massive, and, and you know what, Russell, I was really, really homophobic. Yeah, because of it, and well, I was working at the Bourbon and Beef bouncing up there, and. When you talk about the notorious, well, well-known Bourbon and Beef Steak nightclub, 24-hour club up in King's Cross, synonymous with King's Cross. Yep. Very hardcore place. You, you gotta, you got to know what you're doing at work in a place like that. Yeah. It was- You'll get found out if you're not. Real quick. Yeah. Real quick. Real quick. The three floors it had, you had like um, down the bottom was just your ease and just bums, mm. so to speak. Middle floor was- Celebrity, yeah, you know, and then you had Joe's Bar, which was all the coppers that, mm. that drank out there. Then you had upstairs of a weekend, which was everybody that had come from everywhere else, everywhere else to just you could tell like people who were drinking like water. a day, day club, type yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. So I got into a fair bit of trouble there. How did you come to work in a place like that? You firstly, you would have had a bit of a reputation of as, as a fighter to get in there. You, them sort of places, you just don't knock on the front door and say, "I got a resume." And, um, yeah, well, I was I was bouncing out at in Liverpool, Mount Druitt. I used to bounce at the Major Druitt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty tough pub. Yeah, uh, half the fellas in there were my, my relatives. You yeah, know? it was a Blackfella pub, yeah. another nightclub in Para. Yeah, and it's a case of back then, it was people, other bouncers will come and say, such and such wants you to come and work from, mm. need a place cleaned up because it was different back then. Back then, you had to be a fighter. Yeah. Oh, big time. Not like now. You got to be a good communicator. And oh, can you leave, please, sir? And yeah. You know. yeah we used to we used to to say leave, leave, punch. Yeah. You know. But the the commission changed a lot with the way things operated at the Bourbon as well. Spotlight was always on you. Cameras everywhere. Mm. But you know, it, the Bourbon was it was just an oasis in the middle of of a pit at times. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a great place to work. I, I learned to converse on so many different levels of society. We used to get fed there because it was a, a restaurant as well. Yeah. You know? so, so come time for a feed, I'd, I'd be out the, out the back, giving mine to the bums, as I used to call them. Yeah. That were living out the back, going through the, the empty bottles, trying to get a, a swig of, of grog, and I'd give them my food, you know. I was actually, I was in an Uber this morning, and, and I was talking to this, the driver, and he used to be a cab driver, up in up that way, up the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and was talking about it now. Does it kill you when you go through the cross? I drove through there this morning, and the bourbon's been knocked, knocked down. down. Yeah, yeah, but it's getting developed. Yeah, the bourbon's gone. The Aussie Rules Club's gone because the old man that owned the, the bourbon, like Bernie, at that stage, he had thirteen books written about him. Yeah, and he was a CIA CIA agent, and it was notorious for. Everything, so many things were discussed in that place, yeah, mate. Yeah. Let me tell you, it's an, icon, it's an iconic club. It's the, broke the spirit- my heart to see it gone. I'm, I, and I, I said to, to to Gary and and to Martin and to Nikki, the the bourbon's gone. It's yeah. gone. I walk through there. It's part of my walk, walk. I live down near the rocks there, and I walk up through there every day. And I just this place has lost its. That place had such a spirit. Yeah, there's no charisma, mate. There's yeah. nothing. It's. I, I even looked. They've moved Hungry Jacks. Down yeah. into the middle, Lay Girls is gone. Yeah, the whole lot. It's not the cross anymore. No. It's just you know, make it call it Kings or something because it's yeah. not Kings Cross. Yeah, it's, it's it's a funny place these days. It's I remember my youth of going up there and Yahooing and that sort of stuff like that, and it's just not there no more. I just want to touch on about the like what you went through 
to sort of get to that sort of stage. So you would have went from school after the abuse. You've got to start start lashing out somewhere. This is where the fighting starts and yeah. you start to build a reputation. Let's talk about the period after the abuse, what happened, and, you know, you, you start fighting, start gaining a bit of a reputation. Not till I started bouncing. I was I wouldn't fight back. How did, how, but how did you start bouncing? What brought that about? I needed to earn a living. Yeah. And I started standing on the door at 15. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have even been in there. I'm knocking yeah. back. Were you a big kid? No. I, well, I was. I was this size. Yeah. I never grew. I thought I was all my, my dad's family are typical Wiradjuri men. Like, yeah, yeah. Tell us about, you know, your identity as a Wiradjuri man. Tell us about yep. that. Where did, it, where did that really sort of... Always, and, and I'll say one thing, I'm not Indigenous. Mm. I'm not native fauna. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Koori, I'm a Wiradjuri man, I'm Aboriginal. Yeah. Indigenous is just a term that all of a sudden appeared in the Constitution yeah, yeah. and it was just another... Another label Another that, tag, yeah. that got put on us. And yeah. I hate the word. I yeah, really, yeah. really hate it. But my dad, real proud, proud black fella, yeah. worked his guts out, raised his family the best he could. And he was really aware of stereotyping. Yeah. Where he's from, there used to be the sergeant of police was a black fella. Yeah. And you weren't allowed as a black fella in a pub. So he'd, if there was a, a fight in the town in the pub, mm. as the sergeant of police, he would have to stand outside mm. because legally – He's not allowed in. Colleagues could have arrested him. Yeah. So, Dad started to understand that the difference in the way we were treated and, mm. and stuff like that. And and Dad's pretty much the only one of his family that recognised his Aboriginality. Yeah. And his father flogged him because Dad acknowledged it, sent him off out bush to to live with his his great grandmother. There's your dad's trauma. Yeah. Well, my dad was a unique man, mate. He was he was a tough son of a bitch. Mm. Like I say, he was a tent fighter, so he used to he'd be the guy that people would come and try and beat. Mm. Dad made it to ninety years old, which is really unusual for a black guy. Oh, hundred percent. And, and I'll, I'll tell you really quickly how tough my dad was. Iodine cured everything, mm. and we used to call it uwa because mm. when it cuts your man, it hurt. Yeah. So dad got throat, diagnosed with throat cancer at eighty-seven. He said, "Get me a bottle of iodine, boy." I'm like, "What do you want the iodine for, black fella?" Because I always called my dad black fella. Mm. And he said, just give me a bottle of it. My dad drank that bottle of iodine. Two weeks later, he's out the back, coughed it up, cough, 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 spat the cancer out in his hand, off his throat. Mm. Went to the ear, nose and throat specialist the next day because I got him an urgent appointment. Mm. He walked in and my dad was a very respectful man, mm. particularly to women. Yeah. And he was very much, you don't swear in front of women. Yeah. He's very aware of this, the stereotyping that black fellas had. Mm. But he walked in. And at 88, mate, you can, 87, you can say what you like pretty much, you know. Mm. He's walked in with the cancer in his hand, give it to the ear, nose and throat specialist, to the lady and said, here, shove that up your ass. Well, <laughs> And she said, what, what, what? She stuck the thing down his nose and, and she said, the cancer's gone. He said, I'll just give it to you. Mm. She said, how? Did you start your radiation? He said, no. Mm. He said, I drank a bottle of iodine. And she said, no, he didn't. I said, yeah, he did. Mm. But it had already spread to his lungs. Mm. So he started to drink, started to soak his, his cigarettes in iodine. Mm. And then he put iodine in the nebulizer and was poisoning himself. I said, you've got to stop, mate. You have to stop. Mm. And he wanted to make it to 100, but he made it to 90. He died, uh, and he was called the Southpaw Cowboy Dad. Mm. He, made, he died on the 1st of August, the, the horse's birthday, which was really appropriate. So just a strong, hard man. But he always taught me that you're a black fella, you're a Radjuri man, but you wear a white man's watch. Mm. 
And what, what do you mean? What did he mean by that? Always turn up for your appointments or like today, we're early, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, always turn up for work early because mm. it's another part of stereotyping that you're going to face as a black fella. Mm, I'm not big on it. I'm big on that. I'd rather be an hour early than a minute late. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Dad, Dad was really uh, passionate about that and he always said, you know, you've got to be proud of of your Aboriginality. So you should. Exactly. And I grew up in Mount Druitt, man. I like, I never, I grew up in Mount Druitt. I grew up with all the careers out there. We just, we were all just one. Yeah, yeah. See, where I grew up, there was only another family of blackfellas. Mm. And I remember sitting in a, a hairdressing salon in Hurstville, mm. getting a haircut, because I had real, as a young fellow, I had really distincting, mm. distinction Aboriginal features. Mm. The older I've got, uh, my nose, it's not so spread mm. and, uh, I'm bald now, but mm. I had you and me both, mate. Yeah, solar well, panel for a love machine. Exactly. Don't mm. have to don't mm. have to worry about brushing your hair for <laughs> a morning. Mm. But I was in there getting a haircut, and I had really bushy black fella hair, you know. Yeah. And the kids that I used to play with, the black fella kids, their mum had come to make an appointment to ask, could she get a haircut? Mm. And the the lady said, no, we've got no no appointments available. I was the only one sitting in there, and I just walked in there to get a haircut. Yeah, I was probably about 11, and she come back over and I said, what happened then? And she said, oh, that smelly black Aboriginal person, or no, black abo. And I'm like, I'm Aboriginal. Mm. I walked out of there with half haircut. Mm. She kicked me out. Yeah, yeah, wow. And made me pay. Yeah. You know, so there, there was all that stereotyping around. Racism's such an ugly thing. Oh, Racism and jealousy, man, two just ugly things that society is better off just Fucking cutting out. Yeah, you know. Uh, did you did you suffer much of it? Yeah, fair bit. Yeah, fair bit. Particularly, I did at the Bourbon. Yeah, you did at the Bourbon. I'll tell you when when ten blackfellas turn up, you're the hero of the day. I was so. the f- the first Aboriginal bouncer at, at the Bourbon, mm. and they reckon it had the old man have known that I was a blackfella, he wouldn't have employed me. Yeah. So the old man hasn't been the, the fellow that owned the place. Mm. But I tell you what, do you know how many times I got called on when the blackfellas were playing up on a Friday night? Yeah. You know, to go upstairs and, and have a yarn. And, mm. you know, at, at that time, we had, like, Gunga was there all the time. Mm. Um, we're, we're talking Glen Kelly. Glen Kelly. Yeah. Champion um, bloke. Oh, beautiful. What, what, a, what a talented family the Kellys are. Glenn's my favourite fighter yeah. of all time. I speak to Glenn a lot mm. still now. Um, foot, foot, really good footballers, yeah. good boxers. Yeah. They can play world champion marbles. Yeah. <laughs> that family's just such a talented family. Yeah, human bones, eh? Yeah, yeah. Kevin yeah. Kelly. But, you know, there was always... Gunga was there. Wes Patton used to be there a lot. And Wes, Wes is, is such a character. Oh, Everyone loves Wes. Yeah, yeah. Wes is my wife's cousin because my yeah. wife's a Radjuri woman. Yeah, yeah. And Wes would come up and just have a yarn with me and, and, and talk. And there'd be a case of we started getting a lot a lot of blackfellas coming on a Friday night. Mm. And it came from management. We don't want so many. And I'm like, oh, I can't. How can you justify we can't have so many blackfellas mm. in here? In the end, one blackfella, they said, no, you can't come in. And I just walked out. And I didn't know him, and he's mm. gone. Where's Darcy? Because mm. Darcy's my real name. You know? yeah. It was like the the movie Spartacus. <laughs> all the, the the door because there used to be ten of us on the door at the mm. Bourbon, and they all started. I'm Darcy. I'm Darcy. I'm Darcy. I'm mm. thinking this is like Spartacus. Yeah. You know when they're all up on the the, mm. the crosses and stuff. So, but yeah, look, racism. Um, it's got no place in the world. And I made the statement at the the World Gay Boxing Championship. Mm. When I apologise for my homophobia because of what happened to me, but I said, we, we, but then, I just want to. Can we just go back on that? I was just talking 
to someone about, like I work with abuse survivors, I work with institutional people who have suffered sexual abuse, and I was talking to this guy about this same thing. At what point do you distinguish that a pedophile is not gay? Like this has got this is something that people got to yep. talk about, man. Because massively, the, the uh, homosexual people cop a bad yep. rap with that. Yep. You know? and I always considered homosexual to be pedophile yep. because of what happened to me. Stand on the door one morning at the Bourbon it was about eight o'clock. The waiter come out to stand in there, and he was a, a gay man. And I moved to the other side of the door because mm. the Bourbon was quite a wide mm. entrance in there. I moved to the other side, and. He said, what makes you think I want to sleep with you? Mm. And I'm like, uh, and he said, I know. And I'm like, you know what? He said, I know. I'm thinking, how do you know? He knew what had happened to me because Mm. of my body language and and my reaction. And he said, pedophiles are not homosexuals. 100%. Pedophiles are pedophiles. Yeah. And I immediately, like, it was like I'd been struck by a light and I lost my homophobia immediately rightly so and thank heavens for Mm. him doing that because i became more understanding and and realized that you know what i've just actually treated every homosexual that i'd ever encountered like i was treated as an aboriginal person how my dad was treated Mm. how blackfellas across australia being treated Mm. because i wasn't clear on it yeah so I, I suffer the same impression. thing, you know. After being uh, going through that sexual abuse that I went through, I was the same. I carried this. I guess that's part of part of the burden that you carry. You, yeah, you know what I mean. Because it's added to the hate sack. Yeah, big time. Yeah, you know, it it, it, it crushed me. Yeah. I know I, I I felt horrible, but in the same token, I become really scared. Yeah, because I didn't know if he knew mm. what had happened to me. Who else knew? Yeah, yeah. because I'd have said nothing. Because that's that whole thing, you know. You carry, I say this and I say it in the work I do, a perpetrator's greatest weapon is victim silence and shame. Yeah. They bank on that. Yeah. Perpetrators bank on us being that shamed about what happened to us that we won't say anything. Yeah. And, and look, mate, I was to the point, I tried to take my own life rather than say anything. Yeah, yeah. And I thought. You're carried that, you're, you were carrying their secrets to, to your grave. Yeah. Isn't, yeah. That, isn't that sad? It's wrong, eh? It's, yeah. it's just. It's the total opposite to what should happen. It should happen. You know, and I started, then I started questioning myself about, because I'm really big on inclusion, you know. Yeah. Started questioning myself, where do pedophiles belong in that inclusion mechanism? Mm. And it's only through listening to your podcast, mm. I've been doing that a fair bit, because I've done some, a fair bit of travel, mm. that they don't, they don't deserve inclusion. They don't. Oh, like, I, I don't hide the fact that, you know, I've, I've got an extensive criminal history and I talk to blokes about this pr- criminal moral code, right, that you don't tell on people. And, and you know, I, I was there was a really tough bloke from Newcastle called Warren Jenner, pro boxer, ex-radio champion, and he was asked in front of me, and he, this bloke was my, sort of my hero in prison, and he said, and, a, and a, a journalist said, when do you tell on someone? He goes, the only time you tell on someone is when they've hurt a woman or they've heard a child, they're pedophiles, you know, and I just went bang. He goes, because nothing applies to people like that. They've got nothing in them. They've got yeah. no mor- – why do you give someone a moral code that have got no moral code? Exactly. exactly. Why does it apply to them? Yeah, it, it, nothing should apply. And I, I, I've watched a fair bit the documentary uh, that, that Louis Thordo did. Um, on in the, America, yeah. In America on yeah, the yeah, prison yeah. that they've got. Yeah. And even chemical castration doesn't, doesn't do stop no. because they've still got their hands that they can yeah. use and, and still – you think about it, I was penetrated, mm. right, but I was also handled. Mm. So 
if they still couldn't use chemical castrate, if they were chemical castrated, for instance, they would still be able to violate mm. anyone with mm. their hands, yeah. full stop. So to me, bring back the death penalty. Yeah. Or, you I know. I've got, no, got no problem with that. L-O-R-E, mate. Yeah. yeah. L-O-R-E. Yeah. Full stop. I done a bit of jail out in Alice Springs. Yeah, I done. A, I was out there for two or three years, and I love. I made friends with the Warbury people from Yindamu, and just beautiful people. And man, the simplicity of their life and how harmonious they are when the white fellas stay out of their business yep. is unbelievable. Yeah. They've got, they've got, they've got it by the balls. Then people, I love. I can't wait to get back. I'm yeah. actually um, me and Showtime and and Gary Sinclair are heading yeah. up in June. Um, He's I'm, fun. Showtime. Oh. ADHD. I've had him on the show. Yeah, like, I know, yeah. He is just a million miles an hour, man. Yeah. He's funny, well-read, super-duper smart, super-duper passionate, and I think people could learn about, learn so much from him. Well, I've got, Showtime's my favourite current fighter. Yeah, yeah. And, and Glenn's my all-time favourite yeah. fighter, and I mean no disrespect to to my brother, Gary Sinclair. Yeah. Gary Sinclair, legendary boxers, Gary Sinclair's accompanied you here to the studio. How did, how did this friendship form? Was um was funny. I I'd just had my first masters fight in Victoria in yeah. December of twenty twenty one. Yeah. And I got stopped in the third round. Mm. I seen a post on Facebook for a fight they were looking for uh masters. Not gonna fight this bloke. No way. I'll leave that up to you, Russell. <laughs> no way. He's in the hand speed he brought it Gary Sinclair brought hand speed to Australia. <laughs> He's he gone. Brought, he brought it, brought it in an F one eleven. So they needed a fighter out at Windsor for a show out there, and um, my trainer said to me because my trainer's um, in Cook Islander, mm. and he's the best thing that, to me. He like I, I'll tell you that story in a minute. But so Gaz, uh, I said to the, the the promoter out there, I said my trainer can't make it. Mm. Can you um, help me? Can you get me a corner man? He said I'll get you two times world champion Gary Sinclair, and I'm like. Mm. This guy's taking the piss. Yeah. So I turned up out there and um, Gaz cornered me out there and it was my first win. Yeah, wow. Um, and then we just connected. Yeah. You know, um, and just stayed in touch. And I actually call Gaz Gary Oldman now. <laughs> <laughs> Been to his gym yeah. out at Guy Mere. We're just good good mates. Yeah. So And, and I taught Gary the meaning of deadly because when I was saying deadly all the time, I was like, What's deadly? <laughs> What's deadly, my brother? Yeah. And I said, it means awesome. Yeah. You know, so he uses it now too. So Yeah. Mate, he's, Gary's got a big reputation in this country. He's done so much for boxing and good guy. Like, I, I, we know all the people, the same people, Angelo Hyder and Johnny Lewis and that, and they speak, I know Angelo speaks so highly of him, loves him to death. He's brilliant, man. He needs to be on your show, bro. I'll get mate. He's welcome anytime. Yeah. I'd love to have him on. Gaz is getting back in the ring. So he's got a show on the 22nd of July in Sydney. You'll have to come, Russell, because I'm fighting for the WBL yeah. um, Australian title. Yep. Uh, and Gaz is fighting for um, a WBL world title wow. at 48 years old. How good is that? It's deadly. It's yeah. deadly. Let's talk about how you got into boxing. Like, yeah, where uh, did it come? Where did that come from? Oh, uh, I, I wanted to be a, a boxer. Um, my dad wouldn't let me. Yeah, you know, so I started getting typical black sick. 
Mm. When you say typical black fellas, explain that. Diabetes. Yeah, yeah. Overweight. Yeah. I was weighing 115 kgs. Cool. I went into um, what? What height are you? Not very. Yeah. <laughs> five seven, maybe five eight. Cool. I'm not real tall. Yeah. So I was weighing 115 kg. So basically, I was really, really overweight, and. Mm. I jumped on the scales at home at mm. the at Big W there. Mm. And I said, to, I told the lady, your scales are all broken. Yeah. She said, no, sweetheart, you're fat. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I hate that. I hate that. Reality. I hate it when the scales tell me I'm fat. Yeah, reality's reality. Yeah. So I, I come home and I said, I going to change my life. Yeah. I need to. I need to change my life. Because I coached rugby league for a long time and I've got so many fellas fit. And mm. a lot of blokes that I coached as kids through Southwestern Academy of Sport mm. and with, with West Magpies into West Tigers mm. have all gone on to play grade yeah. uh, and they're still playing. Tell us a few of them. Who are they? Oh, James Desco. Wow. David Nofaluma. Wow. Chris Lawrence. Jesse Sue. Actually, there's a funny story about Jesse Sue and um, I can't think of the other lady's name. Played for Parramatta. Anyway, they were, they were both – I had the under-13s, Western Suburbs, Magpies, white side. Yeah. And we had the black side because there was well. – the A and B, the white was mm. the, the B. Had these two fellas and Jacob Loco, mm. Jesse Sue and Jacob Loco in my side. And I said to the to the other coach, I said, mate, why are these two kids in my side? Mm. They're the only two kids out of all this that are going to play first grade football. Mm. And he said, no, not a chance. Yeah, all right, they'll prove you wrong, brother. Mm. Look at the, the career Suasu, Jesse Sue's had. All Phenomenal. Of them, look at them. All, all of them names you mentioned. Fucking yeah, well, champions. There the was, champion people too, you know. I met Tedesco up with the New South Wales camp, and he was just so giving of himself. You yeah, know, really. He he came into the Southwest Sydney Academy of Sport, mm. and I I um had just pulled mm. the pin, and I said to to the coach that was there, I said, swap your winger with your fullback, mm. and he said no because he he'd coached um, Noffa for a long time mm. as a kid through Campbelltown City, mm. and James Tedesco was the winger. Mm. David Nofaluma was the fullback. Yeah. Have a look at it now. So, and I, I was in the West Tigers program and, and stuff like that. And, and I, Matt, I, you must, I'd like, that's elite sports, like, you know what I mean? That's That says a lot about you to get yourself in those sort of positions, you know what I mean? You're overcoming trauma. And to be into that sort of, that category of coaching, I think, like, you could have focus. But you know what the main thing was? I didn't want anybody else to get hurt the way I was. Yeah, yeah. And kids are the vulnerable ones. Yeah, yeah. So, so you become that protective nature. Yeah, big yeah. time. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and my wife. Can I just ask you a stat, right? I'll tell you, psychologist will tell you that 97% of people that are abused themselves become abusers and, and like that. Like there's stats, psych, uh, psychiatrics, the psychiatrist and psychologist say the, um, 98, 97% of abusers were abused themselves. I think it's a load of bullshit. Bullshit. And I'll tell you the stats I've got on it. I've got 17,500 clients. That I work with in uh, with the abuse clan, not yep. one of them's not one of them's been abuser. Yeah, that well, what a load of crap. But that's what I find. Someone like myself, I struggle to get a blue card to work with children, right? Because I've, I've got armed robbery on my on my criminal history. But a kid would imagine be... the impact you could have on those kids yeah. from your experience. Yeah, I struggle like uh, police checks and all that sort of stuff. They go, they'll flag me and go, "You can't." And I'd say a kid would be more safer than me than with a Catholic priest who can get one. Yeah. That, that, that's the who, who made them stats? Yeah, it's based on psycho. Because I remember when I was at Parramatta Jail, and through the shower block, 
you could throw hot water on the pedophiles and, and that sort of stuff. And I was always constantly trying to get them. And, and there was definitely, if them screws would have been out, prison officers would have been out there was something in me back then that were indicating what had happened to me. And I, and I was forever yelling at them, spitting at them. Yeah, and of course. All. And this psychiatrist come down one day and said, do you know that 97% of them were abused themselves? And I said, bullshit. I have got the biggest, strongest bank at the moment for like a data bank with what I've got. It, at the voice of a survivor, and yep. that is, got seventeen thousand five hundred, and not one of them's an abuse. Yeah, that kills you, eh? When you hear them <clears> sort <throat> of stats, because it's bullshit, because it's made up by them pedophiles themselves. Yeah, they say, "Oh, it happened to me." Again, being protected. Yeah, again, being protected. Here, I, I, I done a post about it the other day, and people saying, "What you know?" Because when you hear about soft sentencing on pedophiles, and how does that make you? Feel? Oh, I want to vomit. Yeah, I want to vomit. But you know. I've got to the point I can't watch news stuff. Can I. I can't, and I, I, I say to my wife, "Can you turn it off?" Yeah, yeah. And so. and if she's because my wife's hearing impaired, yeah. So if she doesn't realise what's going on, or she's playing yeah. on a phone or whatever, yeah. and she's got the remote, I will say, "Sis, turn that, change that," and she'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because it triggers you. Yeah, and you start going into a decline, and and I'm still now like I'm more scared to close my eyes than I am to be awake. Yeah, I get it. Because of the nightmares, like, yeah. I was supposed yeah. to leave home early yesterday, yeah. and I was still awake at seven o'clock yesterday morning. Wow! Because I was—that's common trait, you know. I'm the same. I, I, if I've got, if I need a really good night's sleep, I'm going to medicate to do it. Well, I take—I'm on sleeping tablets, yeah. And it's a case of I can't. And I, I was telling Gaz and Nick before I can't just lay down to go yeah. to sleep. Oh. I have to wait for the medication to put me to sleep. Same, and then. I just hope I don't have a nightmare. Yeah. And I will, 95% of the time I do. Mm. And yesterday my phone had gone off at 5.30 and I was still awake. So I replied to the message because I'd fallen asleep three times and woken up with mm. three nightmares. Mm. And probably it's a blessing that my wife is mm. hearing impaired because she hasn't got a hearing aid in so she can't hear me screaming and yeah. and carrying on and, and jumping. But I, I'm really conscientious of that. I'm glad you're talking about this because this is this whole thing that about abuse survivors and, and, it, and it's, it's, sometimes it's a really tough subject for people to listen to, but it, it has to be spoken about because we cannot change the, re, the culture of reporting this abuse unless we're starting to talk about it. And I think I've, I've really done my best in the last six years. I've been out of prison, even in prison, getting men in particular and women to talk about this sort of this what you go through and the trauma and the and the heartache and the confusion and the anger and the shame and the guilt and everything that you go through. And I think it's really important that someone like you of your stature, bouncer, you know what I mean, tough guy, comes on and talks about it. What words of encouragement would you say to someone to come forward and talk about it and how it can change your life? Get the weight off your shoulders. Yeah. Don't be ashamed of it, you yeah. know. I, and I think maybe this – couple of generations younger yeah may be able to do that like i i had a um an exhibition bout out at narendra a couple of weeks ago mm. and heaps of black fellas out there yeah. and it was on Wiradjuri country and i was so proud yeah. but i speak after every fight i've had uh, about my mental health and yeah. why i have mental health mm. and it was the most amount of people i'd had come up and speak to me that had been sexually abused yeah and they were my generation and older. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm the first person they've said it to, yeah. but I'd say there's a pretty big chance because yeah. 
they spoke to me away from everybody else where a lot of other people just come up to you and say, thanks, I've got mental health mm. or it happened to me. Yeah. You know, and one fella, he'd come up and he was that choked up and I said to him, I said, it's all right, brother, I know, mm. I know. And I, I said, can I give you a cuddle? Mm. And he embraced me and, and said, you don't have to worry. Mm. Free yourself. Yeah. Don't let them control you. Yeah. One other fellow said to me, he said, the scouts got me. And I said, well, you know what? Time you get the scouts. He said, what do you mean? I said, you get the scouts back by saying, I don't, they don't own me. Yeah. They may have taught me to, to, to tie a knot, mm. but that knot I'm going to untie. Yeah. Do it. That's a good analogy, really good analogy, yeah. That's the thing. You can't, it's, I don't know if my mental health would be as bad as it is now mm. if I had got rid of it earlier because I've, my depression. But you're I, a sportsman too. Like I, I, I've always found that sportsmen, playing sport or any type of sports, and in particularly combat sports, is a great way of dealing with depression and anxiety. Yeah, yeah. But I still have times, and I'm really open about my mental health, Russell. Yeah. I, I spent 25 days suicidal, and I document stuff yeah. and stick it on my on buddy old man Master Boxer yeah. for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people know that he's re I'm real. Yeah, people love authenticity is the new sexy. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm far from that. I've got a head for radio, brother. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I've had people even turn up to the gym at home where I live mm. to see if I'm real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and my trainer laughs about it because he says there's people like, people here to meet you. I'm like, mm. what do they want to meet me for? He said, because you're a buddy old man. Mm. I'm like, just, okay, bring them in. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, I walk cool. down and talk to them about it. They've got a story to tell. And they yeah. feel comfortable that they can come and tell me that and story. And you've got ears that work. Yeah. Hey, you know what my father taught me? Honesty, integrity is mm. all I can take to dream time. Mm. But I was born with two ears and one mouth for a yeah. reason. I talk about this analogy I've been using lately a lot because I do a lot of work with people with violence, right, in particular violent offenders from prison. And I talk about human beings are built like pressure cookers, right? Mm -hmm. The pressure cooker's got a release valve on the top. If it gets too heavy, it's gonna it'll, go off. It'll, it'll go off, let the steam off. Human beings are the same. We've got tears, we've got eyes for tears and mouths for words. So that's where else comes out. That's the importance of letting your tears go in your mouth. This whole bullshit of men don't cry and fuck and what's killed men for years. Yeah, and, and I'm really open about it, man. I, I, I cry yeah, for a reason, same. you know, and I, at the, the show at Naranda, I cried four times. Beautiful. Four times. And I was telling, we, we had lunch before we come here today, mm. had a young girl out there, 14, Done a little bit of work with her. She'd only been training for three weeks and she was jumping in the ring. Yeah, yeah. And the impact I had on her, her family, yeah. um, and told them about my mental health and yeah. how I'd just been through um, 25 days of, of being suicidal mm. and I hadn't trained but I took the bout out there because it'd be the first time in 50 years Naranda had had a boxing, uh, boxing show. It's Wiradjuri country. Mm. And so I, I took an exhibition about yeah. out there. And I'm so glad I did because I got mm. to meet this young girl. And to be, it turns out, because I, I said, and I said this, I made a contract with my, my wife, mm. my trainer, and a lady who lives in Wollongong that I won't kill myself as yeah. much as I want to. And believe me, I, no, I've been there. Yeah. And every day I still have the thought, but I'm reminded I've got that mm. contract. And it turns out her, her father had ended his life. And, uh, I was meant to make that connection with her mm. and 
just being with that young girl, she was having a mad anxiety attack. I calmed it down. I was able to tell her. She ended up leading me to the ring, her, oh, cool. her mum and her sister, and she carried my world championship belt with her to mm. the ring. And the, I don't normally give my fight singlets to anybody. Mm. Man, mm. she walked out in my fight singlet and she was as proud as punch. And like half an hour before that, she was an absolute mess. Mm. But I was able to calm her down and I, I thought my life's taken this direction for a reason. Mm. You know, there's, there's reason There's a purpose. Yeah. And, mate, I'm telling you now, when I tried to hang myself and that branch broke, mm. it wasn't... Nah, something looking down on Oh, you. mate, and it was on Wiradjuri country. I'm yeah. telling you, there was every every ancestor that was in, in <laughs> on my land at that time was jumping on yeah. that branch. Explain the importance of that. Like, man, you know, I, I look at Jeff Morgan. Jeff Morgan, he's just... And he's, he's a good mate of mine, Jeff Morgan. He's a curry fine. He goes and sits on a rock and he just and he said, That rock, when my bum is sitting on that rock, it's my connection to my land, my ancestors and everything. Yeah. Like, and it's such a he articulates it in such a beautiful it sounds romantic. It's it's a it's a feeling that Is that connect explain that connection that blackfellows have to the land. Well it, it's it's good because we're we're made up of so many minerals as people, right? Yeah. And our land is is our culture. Yeah. And we all come from the land. Yeah. You know, and before I have every fight, right? I go down to, because I live in Aubrey. Yeah. Right. And I chuck my wraps in the, the Murray. Yeah, yeah. And I pull them back out of the water and I drag them through yeah. the mud. Because you can't take country away from country, right? Yeah. But I'm coming back home. Yeah. So I take my wraps with me that have been soaked in the Murray. They've got the dirt on them from the Murray, which is my dirt. Yeah. And they're wrapped in my hands. That's my safety. Yeah. That's the connection we have. And if yeah. I'm really, really down, I'll go down and I'll dig a hole and I'll cover myself in my land. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I'll sit and then I'll do a smoking. Yeah, yeah. And I'll get, get myself and I'll relieve myself. Yeah. You know? And we have a place at home called Mungabarina. Yeah. And we have another um, place called Indamara. And mm. in my language, Indamara means respect. Yeah, yeah. And so I go down there and I just sit. Yeah, and just I, th I, you know what? It's probably a better way to for you for for white fellas or other other people to understand. Yeah. It's a form of meditation. Yeah, and but we just feel our ancestors talking to us yeah. and and feel them coming to our spirit. And everywhere I go, and I told this story to my trainer the other night. It was really funny. Everywhere I fight, before I have a fight, I rub my hands in the dirt. I thank the people. Yeah, uh, the the custodians of the land, mm. ask them to protect me, protect everybody in the fight. Mm. Um, and, and, and be around us mm. and I'll rub my hands in the dirt because yeah. it's, that, it's that country, but my hands are going to get washed after it. So I'm not taking that country back mm. to my country. And it was funny. I did it. I fight at Ferntree Gully a mm. lot in Melbourne yeah. with the masters. And the, I went out to do it my last fight down there. And there was two fellas have it going to Jilawar <laughs> in the dirt. So they're, they're having a peek yeah. and I'm like, how many times have I rubbed my hand in <laughs> your piss? <laughs> <laughs> and I lost the fight. Yeah, I'm pretty mm. sure it's because I didn't have have that with me. I remember I was going out to Devil's Marbles. It's out Tennant Creek in Alice Springs, you know, and 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 and, and people swear don't take nothing from you. Don't take, that'll bring you so much bad luck. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, mate, you do that, and the Godaichi man's coming straight yeah. after you. I didn't see. The first time I was in jail in Alice uh, in Darwin, and 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 the blackfellas were talking about the Kadaji man. And when they told me about that, that put the wind up me. That I was going, whoa! I hey, I, I went to Papunya. There was me and Daniel Gill went out to Papunya. Yeah, good bloke, Daniel Gill. Oh, champion! And another another uh, fellow, Chad Ritchie. Yeah, I know Chad. Yeah. yeah, 
they just all the the boys had just come back in from being made men. Yeah. And Jason Lord, who who runs R and D Boxing mm. up there, he knew how much I struggled with my mental health, mm. and he said, "I'm bringing you up, bringing you up. You're going to go out here, going to do some bush medicine with you." Anyway, so we we goes out, and he said to me, "Uncle," he said, "I haven't told other mm. fellas, but just be careful <laughs> if." The Kodachi man comes in, he's just looking over, making sure he's because all these young fellas have just come back from being made men. Mm. And I'm like, okay, no worries. And I love taking the piss out of Chad. Mm. So I didn't tell Chad. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he got visits. Chad Chad was um, tied in with Billy Tracy's gym too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah at the original Grange. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good, good bloke, Billy Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. Big shout out to the Tracy family, beautiful people. My Big. dad actually seen Dave Ritchie fight in, in Newcastle. See, uh, Russell Sands is from Mount Druid. He was like he, Russell Sands. He was a Russell Ritchie. Mm-hmm. He was he was from Mount. He was like iconic out there. Yeah, he was the first bloke to bash Maxie Phillips at the major hotel. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he fucking give, they brought they brought Maxie Phillips in to clean up the major hotel, and Russell Sands had a bit to do with that. <laughs> and at the time, he was rated number four in the world behind. Uh, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Tommy Hearns, or something like that. That's yeah. he was highly rated. He had uh, Rod Waterhouse. Oh yeah, yeah, Rod yeah, yeah. Waterhouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was Russell's trainer at the time, and I remember Russell was the, like first bloke to turn up in a statesman. Yeah, it was like having a Cadillac <laughs> in America. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like you talk about those Mexican fighters coming back into Mexico on a Cadillac. Yeah, Russell come back in a statesman, and yeah. he made it. You know. Yeah. yeah, I love those. I, 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 you know, Hector Thompson. You know, those, you know, Lionel Rose, those guys, you know. What do you think it is about Aboriginal people, right, that makes them just so talented with sport? And, 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 well, anything. Well, you put that into a different situation. Look at the the sports around the world with just black people. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a natural ability. Mm. You know, you look, you look at black fellas, right? Yeah. And you, you can tell where a black fellas from because of the way we're built. Yeah. We're built for the, for our land, for our country. You know, you, you look yeah. like you look at the Richie boys, right? Yeah. Where they're from, from Dungati, from yeah. Burntbridge Mission. They're all slim, tight fellas. You go to, you go up to Yindamu, they're really big chested. Yeah, for a reason because yeah. it's for the country that they're from. You yeah, only, they you evolved only, into the country. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You only go a little bit further up in into the Bunjalung district. Yeah. Right, just up from Dungaddy, uh, Kempsey, yeah. and they're all got big backs off, yeah, because it's hilly, yeah, and and they need that, wow, that rump, you yeah. know, that that lower strength. You look at Cody Walker, yeah, he bungling boy, yeah, and you look at the ability that lad's got, yeah. and you have a look at the size of, of his thighs, and yeah. and and Latrell Mitchell, he's bungling wadri yeah. fella. I was walking up Elizabeth Street yesterday, going to going to get a lebo feed. This black fella, you could see him, and mate, he looked like. He's jogging towards me. He had like I think he was a South Junior or something. He was jogging towards me. He looked like one of those racehorses in the mounting yard. You could just see every sinew of his body's legs would bounce and just man, I just this bloke is a picture of fucking perfect, you know, yeah. masculinity or whatever. I'll tell you, when I was in jail, I used to see a little black fella. They'd stack these football sides a game of touch, right? And they'd put all the superstars on that side, and then yeah, little black fella would be walking across to the other side with a pair of steel cap boots on. <laughs> I would say, "What are you doing? Where are you going, bros?" He'd go, "I'm going to back myself against these." I said, "I'm with you," because <laughs> that fella knew he just wanted to back himself and challenge himself yeah. against them on his own. And I said, "I'll come with you." He goes, 
and we'd just carve it up. I think a prime example of that was Wesley Patton. Mm. Look at the way Wesley made an impact on, on the NRL, mm. and particularly when it was the sevens footy, mm. you know, but they'd say, oh, he's too small, he's too small. You know, Wes was a gun. I mean, I'm a real tricky fan. I, I love tricky trend because I know I know the family really well, and, yeah. and, and Arnie Bev used to. She that was funny because they, they lived at Warwick Farm, and and I'd be downstairs, and they lived this two stories house, and, and I'd be waiting out the front. She go, what what do you? She go, what are you, what what are you doing waiting down? Don't he know his family? Get him up here. <laughs> she was just a beautiful, with dyed hair, blonde, and she was just beautiful and. That, you know, and, and when people – I'm going to get tricky on the show and he can tell his own story because people don't realise the adversity that kid had to go through to make it where he went through. Yeah. Mate, he was uh, he had every hurdle in life running. And to for him to play one grade of first grade was just – and, and to, to play as many as he did was just an amazing achievement. I remember when Tricky got charged for grievous bodily harm at, mm. the, at the Bourbon. Yeah. A fella had the, – the, the other way down – the straight stairs from the third floor. Mm. Um, some fellow got into a stink up there, and he'd, he'd come down the stairs, and he's it, the the carpet, yeah. the metal they put on the edge of the carpet, mm. ripped his face apart. Tricky got blamed for it because the guy said it was a black fella. And that's all it takes, huh? You know, and he, I, I'm pretty sure he got not guilty because mm. it wasn't him. Mm. You know. So, yeah, it's oh, just a, a mistaken case of identity. It happens so much with black fellas, just black people in general. Yeah, that's right. Racial vilification. That's what it is. That's what it's got to change. We talk about that. Like I, I, I talk about growing up in Mount Druitt, I'd be on one side of the road, black fella would be on the other side of the road. We're doing the same thing. We're wearing the same clothes, whatever. The cop has come up, straight for, you know, I the blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid and I'd leave me alone. My two eldest foster boys live at Mount Druitt mm. and they just got out of the nick. Yeah. And the coppers are on them like mm. nothing else. So let's talk about you. You do a lot. You've done a lot of fostering in that over the years, haven't you? Yeah, we've been foster parents for coming up to twenty years. Me and my wife. How many kids have you? Over one hundred and fifty. Wow. Yeah. Man, that takes a special kind of person. Oh, it's her, mate. Yeah, it's her. She's. Where does all that love dream. come from, man? That that's a loving house to do that. To be willing to open your arms and your doors to one hundred and fifty kids. Only so, only Aboriginal kids. Yeah. Because you got to look after your own first. Yeah, yeah. So you just got to put yourself into a situation where. Blackfellas, we've got big mobs anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so many times you're raised by your aunt or your, your grandma or yeah. a, a relative, you know, yeah. and, and that's the good thing now with the system changing that Aboriginal kids got to be with Aboriginal carers. Yeah, yeah. And try so hard with kinship. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's funny. We're at, we just finished playing Canterbury and I was coaching under 17s at West and um, young blackfellow, we were waiting for him to play. Warren Williams, mm. he's Uncle Will's nephew, mm. and Warren had some talent. And anyway, this, he's had his his girlfriend at the time, this younger fella there, mm. younger brother. And I looked at him. I said, "Joe, what's wrong?" And he said, oh, "I'm just lost, Uncle." I looked at my wife and I said, "You want to be foster parents?" She said, "Yeah, mm. yeah." And that's that was that's where it started. That's yeah? how it started. Wow. And, and I remember my sister being taken and being yeah. put into foster care and mm. then she ended up in home after home, Minda, yeah. yeah. Maduro Children's Girls Minda home. Manali, yeah, yeah. With state wards. Yeah, yeah, yeah she would, yeah. yeah. And she still carries that, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was what happened to her had made me want to do that because I wanted to make sure that any child that come into my care mm. and my wife's care 
was treated like you would treat your own children. Hundred percent. You know, and so important, man. My boy, he's nearly seventeen, and he got taken from us back to his natural mum mm. at eight, and we'd had him from nine months old. And I fought in the courts, spent forty grand, was every cent I had mm. to stop him from going back because I knew what he was going back to. Yeah. And you can only you can baffle him with bullshit only so many times. And when he turned thirteen, because he knew once he was thirteen, things would change. So he yeah. rang me. Yeah. And we hadn't heard from him for five years. And I'm telling you, Russell, I cried every day. Wow. Every day because that little boy yeah. was taken away. Yeah. And he rang me and I didn't know the number. I just answered the phone. He said, Dad, it's me. I don't want to say his name. Yeah. He said, it's me. And he said, I'm in Tari. Come and get me. So I drove up that night and I, I notified the foster care agency mm. that we fostered through, let them know mm. he's made contact this, that, and the other. He's going to run away if I don't do it. And they were fully aware. We contacted Tari police, let them know. Mm. <laughs> and I said, listen, he's going to run away if I don't do it. She said, well, I'm going to get 60 other kids run away tonight too. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your help. Okay. Just drove up and he'd been back home ever since. Because yeah. he That's a beautiful man. I, I, I just see something. I know, it sort of chokes me up a little bit. I see something really beautiful in people that are willing to do that and bring kids in that. It's a special trait that people have because not everyone will do it. Not everyone's got it in them to yeah. sort of take well, a kid. Our eldest, two eldest boys, the foster boys, hmm. their parents still ring us up. Like they still live in, in, in the drawer and they, they ring us up and say, these lads need to kick up the ass. <laughs> their bubble needs to ring. And I'm like, they never got to kick up the ass off us. And no, but can you do it anyway? <laughs> you know, so. Um, it says a lot about you and your wife, man. It says something really special about you two as a couple. Yeah, I guess. Um, but you know what? I, I say this all the time, Russell. I'm just being the man my dad raised me to be. I'm just me. Yeah, well, I'm nothing be, special. I'm going to be very proud of you, mate. Let me tell you. Uh, I, 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 I put a post up the other day. I was missing my dad real mm. bad because he never got to see me in the ring. Mm. And when I got to captain the Aboriginal All-Stars team, Mm. Um, I was so proud. Yeah. And Talk I, about that. How did that come about? I just got a phone call out of the blue. The fellow who organised it all, Paul Stimson. Yeah. He's just been overseas with, with um, Stevie Sparks. What Over, a robbery that was. Yeah. Anyway, mm. what can you do? That's no. boxing, isn't it? Yeah. You know? um, so he rang me up. He said, look, I'm putting together this, this um, Aboriginal All-Stars versus the rest of the world. And I'm mm. like, wow. He said, oh, I, I want you to be a part of it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. No worries. He said all the associations had agreed that, you know, league bo- yeah, uh, and, yeah. and, and different box associations. Yeah. Yeah. It said that the fighters can fight on the show, yeah. which is really that's, strange. That's tough. Yeah. So we got um, blackfellas from all over Australia to come and fight, and it was a, a real honour for me to be able to, to lead that team. Yeah. And out of that, I've made a whole heap of friends. Yeah. That I never would have had. Yeah. Uh, not only just blackfellas. Yeah. Chock was involved and mm. and that. Out of it, I won the the Gary St Clair superhero title. Wow. On that show because it was mm. it was part of my uh, my fight. The winner was to, to win that. Gary put that belt up, um, mm. and I, I won that. And I donated that belt to Cassius Turvey, the young lad that got, yeah, got ca- murdered in Western Australia. Western Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I donated it to Michelle Turvey, his yeah. mum, and so Michelle's got the. The, the belt mm. and I wore a, a shirt to the ring with Cassius on it and I have Cassius on my fight shorts now so he's with me every every fight I have so it was just a special thing I could do for me sure I can't bring back her son mm. but yeah think about 
the, the adversity that Gary Sinclair himself has gone through in his life. Yeah. And um, for her to have that that belt, that's really special to me. I, it's it, a power, isn't it? It yeah. is a superpower. When you think about that sort of thing, well, Gary, Gary come from an, another country, you overcome so much adversity. Because I'll tell you what, when, when he came to Australia, there was still a lot of racism oh. hanging around. Still, still, still a lot is. Of, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it, it wasn't an easy task. And, that sort of that—that's oh, what I like about the black fellows. They pick up a strength in other people's spirits. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know they're it, connected to spirit. You know, well, it's, real. It, it's really uh, weird. It turns out Michelle Turvey, Cassius's mum, her niece lives in my street. Wow, at home. What's that? Six <laughs> degrees of separation. They call it. Yeah, <laughs> not in the black fella community. Yeah, it's not. No, it's just the spirit. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being mindful of the time. But let's talk about what's going on for you. You got you got some special stuff coming up. Yeah, I'm I'm going to do um. 72 hours punching a bag for, for mental health um, and to, to break the Guinness World Records yeah. uh, record, which is 55 hours, 12 minutes. At the start of the year, I'd done 30 hours and 12 minutes yeah. at, um, at home in Albury just to raise money for, for mental health, for Wellways. Mm. And so now I'm going to break the world record and it'll go down under my real name, but it'll also say AKA Buddy Old Man. Mm. But see, I'm, I'm a junior mm. and I've got a grandson named after me as well who yeah. I don't see and that breaks my heart. But it is what it is. So in the world records, it'll have my real name. Yeah. And that'll be my dad's name and my yeah. grandson's name. Yeah. Because I, I don't have an ego, Russell. I lost oh, my, no. I, lost my I lost my ego as a bouncer because you get into a lot of trouble. My ego gets dented when um, Mrs. Old Man says, not tonight, sweetheart. That's the <laughs> only time. But the, um, bo- the boss woman steps up. Oh, she who must be obeyed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But so I'm going to punch a bag for 72 hours. I'm doing it for Wellways. Yeah. We, we, we want to try and get a, a big corporate on board where people can donate yeah. money because Wellways is not for profit organization mm. and their mental health stuff that you can walk in there and they'll help you straight away. Yeah. And that's real hard. You think about it at the moment, how hard it is to get the resources are so hard. Exactly. So I want to raise 5 million bucks mm. for these fellas and I'm, We've got stuff that we've sent out and we're still waiting to hear. Mm. We'd like to get a corporate like Woolworths on board. Yeah. Hopefully Intersport's going to come yeah. on board because I've, I've, I've got a sponsorship with Intersport. Mm. So hopefully that people just as a collection point mm. where people can go in and donate two bucks yeah, and yeah. they get a tax deduction yeah. and it's a numbers game. Oh, yeah. So we want to do that. And like I said before, I'm more scared to, to shut my eyes because a lot of people say, how are you going to stay awake for 72 hours? Mm. Well, you, you'd know it. You yeah, get yeah, used adrenaline pumping. Yeah, and- but you get used to to um, power naps, eh? Mate, I can – you know what? The other day I, I worked from 2 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, slept three hours and went again. Yep. Yeah. And I reckon that's trauma. I reckon that's trauma's my fuel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you, and the thing is, with doing this, right, Yeah. people see an old fella doing it. Like, I'm 52, right? But I look a day out, mate. I'm telling you, you, you do, you're looking well, mate. I think not drinking that plays a big probably. Part. Yeah. yeah, I'm addicted to Pepsi Max, brother. So oh. if Pepsi Max want to get on get, board, uh, there's a great sponsor, <laughs> a great plug. <laughs> yeah, but if they see an old fella doing it and, and getting out there, well, let's start thinking about re-education of people not doing exercise. Yeah, help it for your mental health. It's the best. It is. It is. But you know what, Russell? I'm really conscientious of my mental health. Yeah. And if I'm really down, I won't go to the gym mm. for a reason because I don't want it to rub off on other people. Yeah. And I, I don't want to see them fall. So I lock myself away and I know it's not the right thing to do. But for me, the, from the perspective I'm looking at, 
it is the right thing Selfless, to do. Yeah. So I'm not hurting other people because mm. I'm really conscientious about that. Yeah. You know, they're a selfless guy, man. You do there's so much in your life that is so selfless. Honestly, I wish there was more people like you, buddy. You, you and your wife, you know, what a beautiful people. <laughs> my wife says, thank heavens there's only one of you because <laughs> my ADHD at times gets to take over. But, you know, I, I said this to the, the the sister of the young girl that I helped at Naranda mm. the other day. It takes more effort to be an arsehole than it does to be a nice person. I, I, I'm 100% on that. Let's sort of talk about like this, like in particular social media, the hater culture, you know what I mean? I, I, you know what? I embrace them people. I've seen it. I, yeah. I, I think I made it um, on one of the TikToks when yeah. when you said one of the fellas said something about the, you're living in a five star accommodation yeah. in jail. And yeah. gee whiz, man, I worked at Ruby Detention Centre as the Aboriginal Education Officer, mm. right? And we had 87% of our community in there were Aboriginal kids. Mm. That ain't no hotel. To no. Me. But I just talk about them. I talk about, mate, you're just people, you. All of this poison you're spreading is just a projection of how you feel about yourself. Yeah. And if it's a hug that you need, man, come up, I'll give you one. Yeah. Don't I, hide I, behind I, the car and think I'm boogeyman, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hug you. Exactly. Because I haven't got none of that poison in me, man. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt no one. Yeah. And it's like I said, it takes more effort to be a nasty person yeah. than it does to be nice. So, yeah. And I look at it from, from, and I say it all the time on a lot of the posts, people say, you're an inspiration. You are. But I don't take praise real well. Yes, yeah, so. I, I I listened to mm. one of the podcasts on the way up mm. when um, – Mrs. Kilroy was giving you a rap. Mm. I've listened to that on the way up. Oh, I get a bit wobbly in the knees when that happens, brother. Yeah, yeah. And But I just say, I'm just me. I'm just being the person my dad raised me to be. You know, it wasn't until I was a lot older in my life I got mm. really close to my dad because he was always away working. Yeah. And I reckon he'd be he'd be chuffed. Oh, of course he would be, man. You, know? you, you Look at you. But I'll tell you what, you're a community asset. You, I don't know if you see yourself that way, but... You're a community asset, what you've done in your community and how you inspire people and how you lead the way and 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 how selfless, not only you, but your wife are as a couple. You two are really selfless people to do what you, you guys have done together as a – what a special pair yeah. of beautiful human beings. Oh, she's, she's – my, my wife I is, can hear that love in your voice. It's oh, beautiful. I, I idolise her mm. and, and she idolises me. Mm. Yeah, and But that's the true – Meaning of marriage. Yeah. I'm, like I said, I married her four times. I, well, first time we got married was on Hoxton Park Road at Liverpool. Wow. And we had, we had three grand. Yeah. How good. <laughs> and then we got married again at Mounties on our fifth because we had a little, because I had a security company by then yeah. and had a little bit of money. We actually mm. got to have a honeymoon. Yeah. We lived in Aids, Russell. I know. Well, Ed, yeah. When we got married, we'd come home and they'd even taken our kids' beds. <laughs> We'd been wrong. <laughs> But it didn't matter. You were in love. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I carried across the threshold and nearly broke a tailbone when I dropped it. (laughs) Because the door had been kicked in. Hey, buddy, on that note, just time conscious, man. It's honestly, this has been a cracker of a podcast. People are going to love this, man. Tell me, how can people get out, uh, get in contact with you, and how can people assist you with what you're doing? I basically just go through Buddy Old Man Master Boxer on Facebook. Mm. Um, I answer everybody's messages. Uh, I have to because yeah. I have so many people reaching out telling me that I've stopped them from killing themselves. Yeah. So if they just want to do that and, and just follow and like the page and there's going to be links come up throughout the time um, of where to donate, who's going to be on board with it, mm. they'll be able to watch. Uh, I'm not allowed to stream all my fights now, mm. but I'm sure Mr. Sinclair will let me stream my, our next fight so yeah. they can watch the fights on there. And mm. But it's not, not just about boxing. It's, it's about... 
the awareness that I'm trying to raise for mental health, ADHD, autism, um, Aboriginal health. I just want people to have inclusion, you know. And the biggest thing is my my eldest boy's got um, autism. Mm. His son's got autism. And if people actually took the time to realise and understand autism, they'd understand how truthful and honest and what a superpower autism actually is. Give them a break. I, I just I just done that McGutto charity down at, at in Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. But just on that note, mate. Thank dead you. set champion, mate. Loved having you here, man. I like man, this is just I, I've really been blown away by your story, man. You're just one special human being, buddy. Thank you, Russell. I'll say to you in my language, Mangangui in Damara. Thank you. Brother. Which means thank you thank and respect. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for bringing you to your team here. Yeah. What a team. What a team. I'm a lucky dream, man. That's a dream team, mate. It's very true. We just miss, miss an old Martin. He had to leave. What a champion. He's a champion too. Yeah. All right. On that note, thanks. Ch- tune in, guys, for this uh, podcast. This is a very special podcast. I encourage everyone to share it around with your friends and and, and, and get behind Buddy Oldman. Thank you, Russell. In tomorrow.